0: One hand. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. You should see me gargle peanut butter. Just kidding. Hey, I'm going to call a quick audible. Laura, can you come in just for a quick second? Um, you want to sing a song for us? No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so, Laura, you lead our worship. Uh, you do a fantastic job. Aren't you guys blessed with what she does? You know, I'm telling you. I was a worship leader for a long time, and worship leading on a Sunday morning or a Friday night or one of those services are fantastic, but let me tell you, it doesn't start there. It starts long before there, and I can tell you that this church has notoriously been known for its amazing worship, and there are a lot of you in here who have the ability, who have music, you notice there's no drummer today, and I'll tell you why there's no drummer today. I can tell you right now, there are at least three drummers sitting in here right now who have been on our schedule but aren't up here today. You know why they're not up here today? Because Laura has boundaries. She's not asking me to tell you this. I'm telling you she has boundaries because she sets a schedule. And instead of just walking into James Shin and saying, get up there on the drums. We need you today. She says, I didn't schedule him. So he's going to sit with his wife during worship. Right? Let me tell you how much that doesn't normally happen in church world. Right? So what am I saying? I'm saying, if you're here, I want you to be on our worship team. So the auditions are coming up February. February 3rd. 3rd. Two weeks. Two weeks from yesterday, so if you guys are interested, or actually if you're not interested, I'm just telling you, if you have a musical gift and you know that God's given you that musical gift, I'm going to encourage you to step out in that, Um, because what it does, when we, when one of us is not functioning appropriately in the gifts that God's given us, it kind of cripples our ability to move forward and usher in God's kingdom, and so I'm going to encourage you, if you have a gift in music, To come to those auditions on February third, go ahead and go online first and apply. And um, Jasmine, our wonderful administrator, music our our worship administrator, she'll get back to you and schedule you in for the audition. But please, please come join us, Um, especially if you call this home. We want you to be a part of our team. Thank you. Thank you. You can keep it. There you go. You know, there's there's a couple more. Take it home. Seriously, I, I was, again, trying to schedule people. I mean, I'm looking over at Jonathan. I'm looking at different people who we could just fill, we could fill the stage with people all the time. And I just love the fact that we don't. I, I'm so always impressed with the fact that there are that there's boundaries. And let me tell you, if there's one thing that my team is really good at, not just our worship team, but all the administrative teams, they're super healthy. So when I invite you to come serve in our church, I'm telling you because it's important for you. you we get blessed by you, but I'm telling you, you get blessed. Uh, let, this is interesting because it's still behind, beside the point and I better get going. But the, uh, the, like, for instance, serving in the children's church, some of you feel like there's a lot of churches that say we're a co-op and because we're a co-op, you should serve because your children are in there. Can I tell you that's the wrong motivation? You know why I want you to serve in children's church? To, to learn how to be a better mom. To, to really learn how to be a better husband. To learn how to be a better daddy, right? I want you to be involved in the lives of other parents who are doing it so you can learn how to be a better family. That's why you need to serve in church. You bump into people like Jeremy, who's talking to his teenage daughter. And I saw your faces when he was talking. Some of you have teenage daughters. And he starts to say teenage daughter and the word emotion in the same sentence. <laughs> right? <laughs> I've had a couple. Woo! Amen. You good? When Paulie and I were uh, uh, first married, we, we bumped into this whole idea of parenting and I remember we were thinking, or we obviously we were married, and then we had a baby after that, Jansen. We got married in 89, had Jansen in 91. And I remember in, when, with our first year, it was easy, first year, because they just cried and pooped, and so, so he was fine. But as soon as they started getting to the point where you started to have to, like, you know, discipline them, we came to this crazy place in our life where we didn't know what to do. Come on, tell me you're not alone. Right, alone right? So we didn't know. In fact, we, we did say to ourselves... If we did what we saw our parents do, we're in trouble, right? Because I don't know about you, but the family I grew up in, my family of origin, their version of discipline was a lot more, gosh, in my opinion, disciplining us to make them feel better. <laughs> you know, I mean, my dad had ways of discipline that were, they're almost anger-provoking. It was almost things to just provoke you to anger, and I know that now, I felt it then, but, but I, I know that that's not the goal of discipline, is to provoke your child, uh, he, he would maybe do the dumbest things, I mean, writing sentences, and uh, the, the discipline didn't fit what it was, and, and, and uh, get, sitting nose to nose with a sister and having to sing the Tic Tac song. <laughs> I'm telling you, there were crazy stuff. I could go on and on. My dad would get, discipline me and tell me to clean the yard, and he would go plant garbage out somewhere in a tree and tell me to get out there and clean it, and I'd come back in and he'd say, it's not clean, it's not clean, and for hours I'd be out there looking for the Easter egg. <laughs> You know, that was garbage because it was his way of discipline. His discipline never really did what the goal of... Do you, you realize there's a goal to discipline? I don't know if many of you know this or not, but if you don't, write some of this stuff down. You know there must be a goal to disciplining your children. There must be a goal. Let me tell you what the goal of discipline is. The goal of discipline is not to change bad behavior. The goal of discipline is to get to the heart to restore relationship. The goal of all discipline is to get to the heart to restore relationship. That's the goal. Too often we as parents discipline to change poor behavior. We're just hoping that they'll stop hitting their sister, stop doing whatever they've done, stop taking things that aren't theirs, stop whatever it is that that we said because we think the goal of discipline is somehow to change bad behavior. The goal of discipline is to get to the heart to restore relationship. Amen. Amen. Hmm. You realize this. Disobedience always breaks relationship. Godly discipline restores it. I was amazed at how much time people spend on trying to learn how to discipline their dogs correctly. I'm amazed at how much money and trainers and time and effort there is to get your dog to not poo in your living room. <laughs> amazed at how little time we'll spend on learning how to discipline our children correctly. We'll spend more effort and time and money to make sure our carpet stays clean than we will, that their hearts stay pure. Uh, no, no words to say that. <laughs> So you're like, you can't even say amen. You're just thinking, dear God, how do you know? I can tell you we spend a lot of time and effort on trying to, to correct some somehow of crazy behavior. We're in the middle of a three-week series in our 21 United time frame. How many of you are getting through your fasting time? Right, we have another week. That this, uh, how many of you had these fights with your flesh? Remember, fasting is all about picking a fight with your flesh. And boy, howdy, there's been times this last week. And it's not just about removing something from your life. It's about getting to the heart of the matter. God is all about getting to the heart of the matter. Why? Because God really likes you. He wants a relationship with you, and everything gets in the way of a relationship. And God says, hey, in regards to a fast, he doesn't say if you fast, but he says when you fast, do these things. And he gets to the, to the part of us because he wants to get us into a right relationship. The series we're in is called After Words. It's in the book of Leviticus. If you, I'm sorry, Lamentations. Same thing. No, I'm kidding. If you go to uh, Lamentations, if you could, open that up. Turn after the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament. Lamentations. Lamentations is a book of laments, right? It's, I, I, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I wrote on my, I don't know, many of you know this, I do a preaching calendar. And so in May, I sit down with Jesus and, and I go through the whole year and we set up a preaching calendar. Aren't you ever amazed at how God will speak something to you from church and you're like, how did he know that? I can tell you, back in May, God gives us words, right? And so he gave me a word to preach in the book of Lamentations throughout the month of January, right? Literally in January, I remember thinking in May, God, what is it that we're going to be going through as a church that's going to cause us to deal with the laments of the children of Israel? What are, you, what, are, what are you bringing us through that's going to cause us to deal with some internal struggle in our lives? And look at your own life. Find out where God has you today and you can see, isn't that amazing how God orchestrates that? Today I want to talk to you about Lamentations, where they were, and what God triggered to bring up, what what he was trying to bring up in the lives of the children of Israel to restore relationship with them in the book of Lamentations. The Lamentations, like I've said before, was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes this book as a, uh, a result of the disobedience of the nation of Israel all through the book of Jeremiah just before this. Because they didn't obey, because they didn't do what God told them to do, He begins to write the book of Lamentations as a lament. The word Lamentations means to cry out or to cry or to weep bitterly. Lamentations of the reaction of the children of Israel. In other words, he told them not to sin and not keep on doing what they've been doing. Stop practicing the crazy ways. And they said, nope, we're going to do it anyway. The book of Lamentations was written as the result of their, well, rebellious ways. Aren't you glad you're not like them? Come on. We're just going to do a case study on weirdos that don't listen to Jesus, and we're going to see what happens, right? Yeah. Come on. The children of Israel were taken captive... Because of their disobedience, because of the things that they didn't do that they were supposed to do, because of all the ways that they were not walking in the right ways of God, the Bible allowed. The Bible says He allowed the Babylonians to come in and literally lay a whooping on them. It was literally. It's called the Babylonian captivity. Maybe you're familiar with it in your Bible. It was a seventy-year removal from their from their land into a place of captivity where it was 70 years where, where God began to speak to them away from their possession, away from what they were supposed to do, away from their promise, just so that he could get to their heart. Now remember, if the goal of discipline is the same for us as parents, it's the same for God to us. Even though we think that God's goal in discipline is just to change our poor behavior, I want you to know this, that God's goal in discipline is exactly the same as ours. God's goal in discipline is to get to our hearts in order to restore a relationship. It just so happens that the majority of our poor decisions, our bad actions, cause us to walk, a, they're symptomatic of our, of, our, of our disobedience. We have a disobedient heart, we act out disobediently, right? And so we think God wants us to change the activity. We stop doing that but still have a disobedient heart, nothing's changed. The goal of discipline in God's kingdom is to get to our heart so that we'll change our heart, therefore we'll change our activity. Amen? God takes 70 years of these people and says, I'm going to discipline you for 70 years in hopes that their hearts would change. Now we know that for 70 years, this this 70-year discipline, timeout, chair, whatever you want to call it, what was a moment where God began to get to their hearts. How do I know that? Because the book of Ezra comes shortly thereafter. The book of Ezra or the book of Nehemiah were the responses of the children of Israel's 70-year spanking. What happened? We know this. We talked about it on Friday night in our worship time. What happened to the children of Israel after 70 years? God got to their hearts. How so? Because they finally decided that they were going to get right with God. So the first thing they did when God brought them back into their promised land was to build the altar of worship. And after they built the altar of worship, they built the church, the temple. And then they built the walls of the city. And then they built their own homes. That was the method. That was the way it was supposed to happen. Not everyone did it, but that was the goal. So, what do we see here? We see that God's plan of discipline was to discipline them in order to get to their hearts. When he got to their hearts, he could change their behavior. Some of you actually think God just wants you to change your behavior. We actually think God's mad at us as a a nation, as a people, as a church, as a whatever. We think God just is mad at our behavior. And somehow, if if we could just eradicate that behavior from our life and change our behavior, that somehow God will be happy with us. What do we do? We turn God into some sort of a tyrannical dictator who says, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And we forget that God's goal in getting to our hearts was to get to our hearts and there affect our behavior. Amen? Amen. That's what God's discipline is all about. That's why God puts this discipline in all of our lives. It's not just to change our behavior. Behavioral change is awesome, but it's not the goal. The goal isn't just to change behavior. The goal is to change your heart. As a result of a heart change, your behavior will follow. Don't you love how God does it? Don't you love how God does that stuff? Can you see in your own mind's eye how we've turned an understanding of God wrong? We've turned God into some sort of a mean king sitting on a throne saying, Stop doing those fun things. Stop doing those things that bring you happiness. Stop doing those things. And if you keep on doing the wrong things, I'm going to take all good stuff from your life. That's not God. That's not how God functions. Things in your life might go crazy partially because sowing and reaping works. (laughs) You might start, you know, can I tell you this? Here's a crazy, you want to see the law of God in action? Watch this, this is great. This is the law of God. You could fight it all you want to, but here's a law of God, watch this. This is, ca- get this, I'm going to, everyone believe opposite. I- We're going to believe that the law of God won't affect these keys. Here's the law of God, gravity. <laughs> Don't fall, keys. I believe you, key. Let me tell you, you know what happens? When we sow sin, we reap bad things. Sowing and reaping is the principle of God. Now, can God step in and thwart that and bring you peace? Yes. But listen, if God could change your heart, he can change your behavior. That's what he'd been saying to the children of Israel all this time. Stop doing that crazy stuff. Get to the bottom of your heart, and then you'll change your behavior. Hmm. Amen. Give your Bibles. Open it up to uh, Lamentations chapter 3. As you're getting there, let me tell you something. I, I think it was, it's only important because it was, uh, made me stop and think this week. But my wife and I, I said before that we had to learn some discipline processes. And this is just for you who have young parents. I can tell you our processes of discipline changed as our kids grew older. Uh, But when they were younger, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, all the way up to 14, 15, it was really invasive and we really spent a lot of time. And i level with you. We did a lot of studying on how to discipline children because quite frankly, we had no frame of reference. Well, we did have a frame of reference. It was just poor. Just a bad way to do business. We didn't know how to be, I didn't know how to be a good dad. She didn't know how to be a good mom. We had great parents, but there were places that We didn't really get that that was all that biblical and right. So how did we change? Let me just give you seven when our kids would deliberately disobey. All right? I'm just going to give this to you for fun. Deliberate disobedience. I'm not talking about spilled milk. I'm talking about choosing to not come home on time. I'm talking about hitting your sister when you're not supposed to hit her. Deliberate disobedience, not just, whoops, I ripped my pants. Unless you you were climbing a tree, you weren't supposed to, right? So all of the things, deliberate disobedience is different than accidental disobedience. Come on. See, sometimes parents, we don't see the difference. God will discipline us through deliberate disobedience. Your accidental disobedience oftentimes can just get you in trouble because of the sowing and reaping principle. Right? Rip your pants, get a hole, everyone laughs. It was a joke. So here's the first thing Polly and I did when, when our kids would deliberately disobey. First thing we'd do is uh, we would send them to their rooms for about 10 minutes. Go to your room or wherever it was. Go, go someplace alone for about 10 minutes, right? Why would we do that? Well, because we all needed to cool off, right? Because what happened, let me tell you this, never discipline while you're still angry, it's the worst thing possible. So we would send our kids to the 10, for about 10 minutes, five or 10 minutes to their room just to settle down, right? And we would tell them, go in there. One of us will be in there in a minute. Now, what that did for Polly and I was it bought us a minute to talk, right? It bought her a minute to call me. It God it bought me a minute to talk to her whatever it was and to try to figure out what the plan of action was gonna be, like we, we had a minute. Also, it gave us the freedom for 10 minutes to tap out, right? There, I could tell there were times when Polly looked at me in the eyes and she's like, don't go in there now. She said, I'll Tell you what, Lance, I'll take this one. You're too hot. Right? Or there's other ways that I was like, Honey, you're too wound up on this one. I got it. Right? You need a minute to tap out. So we would tell our kids to go in the other room, and they'd go in there red faced, mad. It's unfair. I can't believe. Oh all the things. Come on. Come on. You've heard it all. Right? So we get them in there. we we tell them to shut the door. You can have your little pity party in there. No one wants to hear you cry. So if you're that kind of cry, just kind of whiny cry. So we'd let them go in there and we shut the door. Come on. Right? And they could cry how they wanted to in there, but without an audience, the crying usually stopped. That was our opinion, what we did. Then once we got in there, then we'd walk in there, one of us would walk in there. Uh, we would say to them, uh, hey, why are you in here? Then naturally they would say, you told me to come in here. Then I'd say like, no really, why are you in here? What was the reason you're in here? What, what, what did you do? Well, I know I shouldn't have hit my sister, you know, all that stuff, right? And so I'd tell my daughter, why'd you hit your sister? And she'd be like, "Ah, she bothers me, whatever, all this stuff, right? And so once that all this stuff would calm down, why are you in here? That was important, right? And then I would say, see, what we were doing we were, getting, we were getting them to confess their sin, right? They needed to get it out. It's important you understand this method, confess their sin. Then at that point, once it was over, we would say to them in a calm voice, because whoever walked in there was calm, we would say, now, we need to enforce the, uh, the appropriate measure of discipline, right? And they understood it. They didn't like it, but it was appropriate, right? Now, here's where I'm going to hit the timeout button. Every child is different. Listen to me. Every child is different. Of, of my three children, one required a little more of that discipline than the others, right? So and I would tell you that it, none of us ever, we didn't hit, we didn't spank. Where we spanked. We didn't go crazy on people. It was very balanced and very healthy. We did the right way. But I'll tell you this the appropriate measure of discipline, right? Some, One of our children, you could look at that poor little girl, and she would, you could get, because why? The goal of discipline was to do what? Get to the heart. Our goal was to get to their heart, not to provoke them or make them angry. So we would get to their heart, and we'd let them open up. And so then we would would engage that appropriate measure of discipline for whichever, we always remembered this, the punishment must fit the crime. Amen? All right, here we go. Then we would allow them, after they would cry and all that business, we would let them all happen. We wouldn't sit there. We wouldn't say, get over it. We would let them, because it's important, once you get disciplined, that you can process. So we'd sit in there and let them process, and then then we would say, okay, now what? And then they would repent. They would get to this moment when they would say, you know, Dad, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. And about then, we would start talking to them about why and how and what God says about your hands and what God says about the motivations of your heart. We would show them biblically what it was that was supposed to happen in their lives, and then we would make an appropriate moment for some sort of an action. Maybe the action was you need to ask me for forgiveness, but you also need to ask her for forgiveness. Right. So then we would help them formulate a plan of action so that they could go make it right, and then we would pray together and ask God's forgiveness. Then we would hug each other, and then we'd let them go. That whole process took about 20 minutes every single time. Can I tell you this? That was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Holy cow, it was a lot of work. Every time, 20 minutes. There were times and it would be like six times a day on a Saturday. And I'm like, each. You know, so I was like, wow, right? Trying to, I'm just joking. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's always that. The goal of discipline was to get to their hearts, not just to change behavior. But here's the weird thing. As we began this process with them, their hearts began to change. And here's what they realized. They realized that the discipline that they were incurring was because of their own deliberate choices. But also, they knew, get this, my son came home one time, and he was probably in fourth grade. And he said, uh, Dad, can I talk to you about something? And I was like, yeah, hey, man, what? And he's like, uh, you need to spank me. And I was like, wait, what? He goes, uh, you need to spank me. And I said, what'd you do? <laughs> he goes, ah, I was out at the swings today and a guy got in front of me and I just punched him, you know? And so, <laughs> whatever, I just punched him. And I was like, did you talk to him? He goes, yeah, man, I, I took care of it, but you need to spank me. <laughs> I was like, why? He's like, I felt good about hitting him. I remember whatever it was. I mean, it was like, there's a thing, right? <laughs> and I was like, why do you, why? And you know, I went I back to my Bible. You know what I found out about a discipline? That discipline actually removes the guilt. So he's like, Dad, what he was really asking was, Dad, will you remove this guilt from my chest? Trust me, that was not one of those spankings. You know, I'm telling you, it was one. It was be- Why? Because the goal of discipline was to get to the heart, not to just change behavior. Getting to their heart would change behavior. You know my son now? He's 26. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't punch people anymore. <laughs> he's a really good guy. You'd hire him. You'd like him. My daughters, they don't punch each other. They like each other. They wouldn't punch you. One of my daughters might, but the other one... (laughs) I'm telling you all this, one, to help you as a parent, but I'm telling you this because I want you to realize that we are children of God. Some of you have experienced the disciplined hand of God, but you think he's mad at you. You think that he's just rearing back and laying a whooping on you because he's trying to prove something to you. He wants to let you know who the boss is. Let me tell you, the God of the Bible would never do that. It's not in his character. He doesn't have any reason to prove that he's God to you. You know why? Because he already knows he's God. The issue isn't him trying to to, to make life miserable for you in order to teach you all a lesson. He doesn't need to teach you a lesson. He wants you to see what it is that discipline means. He wants to get to your heart so that your heart will be changed. And when your heart is changed, your actions will change as well. That's what God did to the children of Israel in Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 30. I love this. It's interesting. You know the Jewish people today actually have Lamentations in their Bible, the Torah? They have it in there, right? So in their readings of the Bible, they read Lamentations. Can I tell you that they actually get this? The Lamentations that I've been talking to you about has been a reaction from the children of Israel being taken into captivity. So he writes a Lamentation. Did you know Jewish people today actually believe that the book of Lamentation was actually written before they were taken away? He, they think it was actually a prophetic book. That he was writing to them saying, when you continue to disobey, you're going to feel like this. Whether it was before or after doesn't matter, but it just made me stop and think. If you knew that your activity was going to be, and your hard heart towards a person was going to cause you to continue to walk in rebellion towards God, maybe you'd change. They knew in advance if they would have done it wrong, right? Here's the crazy thing. This is written to us. We do too. And yet we still run in disobedience. Listen to what it says in chapter 3, verse 40. The writer Jeremiah says this. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to the God of heaven and say that we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven us. Let me just hit the pause button in verse 42. It says, we have sinned and rebelled and you had not forgiven us. The word forgiven is an interesting word there. It literally means in the Hebrew, spared. Spared. Jesus is saying this, God is saying this through the Jeremiah, the writer. He's saying, because of all of our crazy disobedience, we had to search our hearts and realize that we were a mess. But even in the midst of all of our mess, you didn't spare us because you knew that discipline was going to get to our hearts. Of course, God forgave them eventually, but the the forgiving here, the, the same word in the Hebrew is spared, I think it's a better word in English. Literally, he means that he spared them, he spared them from the forgiveness, from unforgiveness. He literally said, I spared your life but I allowed the discipline to be incurred into your heart. Hmm. I love this. Some of you think though that God, in His discipline in your life, has just opened up a can on you and just let it rip. God loves you so much. If there's one thing you walk away from today, I want you to pi- to picture the loving, measured. Uh, care that jeremy has for his daughters that, that you would see the same for god that he he thinks about you he prays about you he, he ponders about you because his heart and passion is to to get to your heart that your lives would transform because god wants relationship with you so let me help you realize what i'm going to call the pathway of restoration the pathway of restoration i think is clearly laid out here in lamentations in other words god's goal is to restore relationship with you here's the pathway of rest, rest restoration Number one, take responsibility for your own sin. Take responsibility for your own sin. Lamentations 340 says this, instead, let us examine our ways. Take personal responsibility. Can I tell you this? Some of you have incurred tremendous pain. And often, the pain is the result of something in your past. And first of all, let me tell you this, that pain is real, right? The Bible says every heart knows its own pain. And some some of you have been walking with a limp because of the pain of your past, I'm not telling you that you need to take responsibility for that pain over your past. Here's what I'm going to say. I wrote it down so I said it right. The pain in your life, listen to me, the pain in your life might be all their fault. Whoever it was that hurt you. The pain in your life might be someone else's fault. How you respond to that pain is yours. The pain might be their fault that they brought into your life and it incurred and threw you upside down and it caused you to walk with a limp. The pain might be someone else's fault. And I'll give you that. And we can sit there and say all over the place that they shouldn't have and it shouldn't have and why did it and all that stuff. And you can embrace the fact that the pain might be all someone else's fault. But how you respond to that pain is yours. How you walk it out is yours. Someone throws you a curveball that you know, hits you in the nose. Let me tell you this it might be their fault. But what you do with that, and you pick up the ball and throw it back, whatever it is that you've got to do, you pick up the ball and throw it at someone else. How you respond to that pain is your responsibility. One of the first things in restoring relationship with God, when he has you in a place of discipline, is for us to take a personal responsibility over our own sin. Psalm 139.23 says this, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path everlasting. Let me tell you this, the sooner we take personal responsibility for our own sin, the sooner we can walk restored with the Lord. The first step in being restored, I'm telling you, it's owning what's yours to own. Owning what's yours to own. 1 John 1.10 says this, if we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word is not in us. We need to own what's ours to own. I think too often we, especially those of us who are codependent, if you don't know what codependence is, then, uh, may, then maybe you're codependent. Let me tell you this, codependence is where we think literally we can fix everyone else, right? We, we think that everyone else has a problem and they need to get it fixed and it's my job to help you learn, learn that out. Let me tell you, a lot of us preachers are codependent in our nature. We think it's our job to fix everyone. Here's what I've realized. That's why I sit up here and I tell you clearly today that I didn't tell you 10 years ago. I tell you clearly today, I am not a counselor. Why? Because Keith is a counselor. He's way better than I am. And I'll send you to him, why? Because I know who, I know my limitations. I can tell you this, there's very clear. But you see, a codependent person feels like they can do everything all the time for everyone and we need to fix everyone. I try to take responsibility for everyone else's sin. Can I tell you this? It's not my responsibility that you did that. I can help you not do that. I can tell you to go talk to Keith because he's way more patient. I'll just give you a drink off a of fire hose. And you don't want to come talk to me. You want to talk to him. He's way sweeter. I'm telling you this, than I, but I'm telling you right because he's a counselor. He, he can help you. And trust me, you'll you'll walk away from there finding out some things that you need to fix in your life. But you'll be equipped by somebody who can equip you. I'm just telling you. Codependent people think we can fix everyone. Some of you are codependent in your marriages. Think you can fix your spouse? What does the prophet Doctor Phil say? How's that working for you? Right? She still hasn't changed. Right? He still hasn't changed. You think you can fix your kids. Your job not to fix your kids. Your job is to help discipline them so that they can get right hearts so that their actions will eventually change. See so complicated we've made it. Somehow, we spend all our time trying to get it all messy, but the goal is to get to heart to restore relationship. Hmm. Number two, pathway of restoration. Not only do we need to come to the place where we take responsibility for our sin, but number two, we need to turn away from the sin. This is important. We turn away from the sin. Literally, Lamentations 340 says, let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. The word repentance simply means to turn or to return. To turn away, right? Literally, repentance means to turn or return. Uh, too often, we, we we get repentance kind of in a weird way. We kind of tend to think that God's okay if us just confessing the sin. God, I'm sorry, I whatever it is that we've done. And and and. Literally, what we mean is, I'm sorry at the moment, but I'm going to return to that this afternoon, right? Repentance means to confess the sin, turn and walk the other way. Translation, no longer doing that thing that you were repenting of. Now someone say amen. Or dear God, he heard, saw me, right? I mean, I'm telling you, right? Because that's what happens in our lives. We're like, we confess our sin, we repent of, we don't repent of it, we just confess it. It's okay to confess, you need to. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you and purify you, but it's the implication is that you'll repent from it. You'll confess the sin and turn and walk the other direction. That's repentance. When we say, God, I'm gonna repent. The children of Israel, let me tell you this, if you wanna be restored into right relationship, you need to take responsibility for your own sin and then repent. You have to repent. You have to literally say, God, I'm done with that scenario and I'm turning and walking away from it. To restore relationship, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess... He is faithful to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, this is where the, the Catholic Church kind of got it off, right? I was a Catholic kid for all my life, and, and, and I can tell you, the Catholics, you know, confession of sin was you'd go into a little room, and you, or whatever it was, face-to-face, however they do it today, but you would confess your sin to a priest, and then somehow he would tell you to do ten jumping jacks and a few Hail Marys, and then it would all be better, right? And, and can I tell you this? That's called penance. Uh, the, what happens with penance is, is that you actually feel like you have to pay the price for your sin, some some Catholics I know because I was one I can talk like this but as a Catholic, they, they, there's places in Calcutta where they climb up knees uh, hills on their knees of glass thinking somehow your pain is going to pay for your, your your can I tell you this that's not it's just it's got to be laughable to the enemy because you can't pay enough for your own sin you can't you can't do enough for that I know too many Catholics that are like well I guess I'll I'll just have to live a period of time in purgatory because that's going to be my penance can I tell you this ain't no thing. No such thing as purgatory. It's a, it's a thing that they made up. To some, And I, I, I promise you, I can tell you where they got the information from, but it's a mess. Here's where they got the, they got messed up in, in James chapter 5. It says, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. They got this idea that you could confess your sins to a God guy, and somehow he was going to absolve you of your sin. You know what the James 5 is talking about? James is saying, if you hurt someone, if you violate someone, if you do something that was wrong, you, you my little girl, hit your sister... Confess your sin to them. There needs to be a moment of making it right, right? Or, or maybe, maybe it's too far gone, or that person is no longer in your life. Confess your sin to somebody else. They can pray for you and you can find healing. But you're not going to get absolved because you confessed your sin to somebody. It's just the process of getting you right and removing the guilt to restore your heart to somehow get to the right relationship. <laughs> Repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness with an intent to do it again. Acts chapter 238, is talking to a group of people. This is right during the Holy Spirit outpouring. He literally says this, Each of you must turn from your sin and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sin. Then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Literally, Peter was saying, listen, confess your sin, man. Get it off your chest. Get accountability in your life. I have an accountability partner that I see somewhat regularly, and we get together and we talk about our wives. We talk about our kids. We talk about our careers. We talk about what we're doing right and wrong. We talk about trying to get things fixed. Who do you have in your life? You know, and, and I've confessed my sin to him, and he still goes to this church, and this part of me is like, well, what are you thinking? Go to a different church, right? You know, what, you know what? He hugs me and he says, Lance, you're just human. Let's walk it out together. Who do you have in your life? that you can confess your stuff to and say, let's pray for me, would you? And sometimes he'll say, hey, that's great. This is what I think you should do. And there's times when he does and I say, this is what you should do. Who do you have as accountability in your life that's bringing about some measure, not penance, but to remove the guilt? Take responsibility for your own sin. Number two, turn away from the sin. And Number three, finally, pathway to restoration. Turn back towards God. Lamentations 3:41 says this: Let us lift our hands, our hearts and hands to the God of heaven and say that we've rebelled and sinned. Literally says this: Let us lift our hearts and hands to heaven. You know what the translation of that verse is? Let us lift our hearts and hands to heaven. Here's what the writer of, of Lamentations, I think, is saying. Take your grubby hands off. Take your emotions that we call their heart. Take it off. Turn them to God. Turn it to God. In other words, once you confess, once you stop that sin, then turn and run hard towards Jesus. You got it. Otherwise, you know what's going to happen. Here's what happens when you live in unconfessed sin: you start to rot on the inside. You start to get super hard towards people. Eventually, you get hard towards the people who are closest to you. You push everyone away, and you become super bitter, grumpy, and lonely. And if you've logged any measure of time on this planet, you've seen someone and perhaps that's you. God wants to soften your heart and restore it. Some of you have been hurt really bad and I'll give you that today. Maybe it was all someone else's fault but what you do with it is all yours. God wants to restore relationship with you and have relationship restored with one another. That's what Lamentations is all about. Bringing us into a right place. So I want to pray with you today. But in our prayer, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. So let's go ahead and get into a posture of prayer, can you? Maybe that means closing your eyes. Maybe it means kneeling down. Maybe it means holding your hands up. I don't know. But I ask you a couple of questions as we get into this moment with Jesus. Father, we come to you other today and we, we just thank you for an opportunity to get right with you. When I know that you brought us here today, I knew back in May when we put this preaching calendar together that you were gonna bring people here today for us to deal with things in our life. Here's my questions for you today. Is there something in your life that you're pretending not to know of? Something in your life that you're pretending not to call a sin? You know it is. He knows it is. But you're just trying to fool yourself into thinking it's no big deal when it's actually sin, it's causing a big old rift between you and God. Number two, are you pretending not to feel guilty about that? Number three, what do you think God wants you to do after you repent of that thing in your life called sin? So right now you have your eyes closed, you have your heads bowed, What is that thing that God brought to your mind's eye? Can you confess that to God right now? Trust me, he already knows what it is. Just confess it. Jesus, I know that you know and you know that I know that you know. Here's what it is. Just tell him. I'm not even gonna make a suggestion. You just tell him what that sin is in your life that you've been pretending is not really a sin. Now ask him, God, Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for harboring that? Will you forgive me for walking in that? Will you forgive me for closing my eyes and pretending it doesn't bug you? Ask him to remove that heart of stone and give you that heart of flesh so that you become supple and soft and restore relationship with him. Ask him today to restore relationship. God, restore my heart. Thank you for your forgiveness. Restore my heart. Like David, I want to dance before you recklessly, unabashedly. I want to give you all that I am and not give a rip about anyone else what they think about my reckless relationship with you. I want to love you with all that I am. Soften my heart today. Restore my relationship. Thank you for forgiveness. your eyes closed maybe you're here this morning and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus you've never really become a Christian you've been coming to church lifting your hands singing the songs but you know in your heart of hearts it's time for you to get serious with God God knew you were going to be here today he's been talking to you all morning if that's you and you need to surrender your life to Jesus will you just lift your hand up I want to see you today just lift your hand up high and say that's me Lance I want to surrender my life to Christ I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to acknowledge you. Maybe you've been here for a long time and you know that you've been faking it. You're a Christian for sure. That's the real thing, but you've been kind of half in, half out. You don't need to get the re-saved. You just need to get realigned. Maybe this morning is a moment of rededication for you. Just say it. God, I, I give you back all of my life. Take of me and make of me what you will.